keep us afloat. Your gospel. Give us fresh eyes and fresh ears. To hear your word is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're in Colossians. And last week, last week we talked about the song that that, uh, Paul breaks into in chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. You'll remember the theme of Colossians is what? Jesus plus, plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus comes to nothing, means nothing. And the key doctrinal phrase of the letter is simply this. In Christ or in him, if you will. And so we looked at the song of supremacy last week. And I want to refresh your memory just real briefly with that. There were two stanzas in the song. The first stanza is Jesus' supremacy over creation. So each stanza begins with this, with this, with these words. He is describing who he is. That is who Jesus is. It stands a one, this Christ's supremacy over creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn prototokos of creation. And I stumbled a little bit on that last week. I want to make that really clear what that word means. It's not to, speaking chronologically in, in, in terms that Jesus was the first creation of God, that God created Jesus first. It is a, it is a title of Honor within the family that designates inheritance, honor, and ownership in the family. At the time that Paul was writing, there is no one in the world of that day that would not have recognized what that word means because of the law of primogenitor. In order to protect and to provide for the survival, the health and strength of and the and the continuance of the name of the family, the firstborn, the, the one honored in the family, and it was usually the firstborn male, but sometimes it was those, the one that was the most able or the most, or the strongest was given the inheritance, all of the inheritance, given ownership of everything, control of everything, the law of primogenitor. So they might have a lot of kids because there was some insurance with having a lot of kids, a lot of people to work on the farm, right? You know, but when it came down to who was going to carry the family name and who was going to, was going to make sure that the family did not die, but it was strong and it was vital and the name was preserved and it was handed down generation, generation. The law of primogeniture said that the firstborn, the prototokos got everything. Now here's the beauty of what Paul has already said. Back in verses 12 and 13 is that Jesus, through him, we have been given a share, a part of the inheritance with all the saints and the sons of light. So we ought to be thankful. We ought to be grateful because the prototokos who has everything has shared his inheritance with us in the kingdom. Remember, in the kingdom of the beloved son. So the. The, the truth that is conveyed there is that God the Father gives the prototokos. He gives the Son, the firstborn, everything because He loves Him. And then the Son disperses it and shares it with us.
who have come into relationship with him to love him. You see it? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn. He's the prototokos. Now listen, this is so cool. When you see the construction of this, of the song, you'll, you'll see this. For by him, and the word there is in him, in auto. That's the second person, uh, plural, plural, I mean, first, second person singular pronoun. Him. Auto is him. In him. In Christ. In Christ. All things were created. So, so Christ is big enough to encompass everything that was created. Because everything was created was created in him. And then he lists, you know, things on heaven, things on earth, uh, uh, um, seen and unseen, angels, principalities, powers, uh, all things, everything. I say, for, for all things were created through him, die auto, through him and for him, eyes auton. You see the construction? Now, remember that because it's going to come up again. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what he's saying is that in creation, his supremacy, his supremacy and his preeminence over creation is based on the fact that everything was created in him and through him, and the goal was for him. First stanza. Second stanza. Go to the second stanza. His supremacy over the new creation. First stanza, creation. Second stanza, new creation, which is what? That's the church. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is. He is the beginning and the firstborn. Prototokos again. You see it? From the dead. For in him, in auto, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, die auto, to reconcile, reconcile to himself. Eyes auton. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. So what he's saying is that in the church, Jesus, you know, everything that happens is is in him, it happens through him, and it happens for him. For him. That's the song. And as Paul gets to the end of the song, he he mentions this idea of reconciliation. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things. So, and I've mentioned to you that when you take a close examination of the letter of Colossians, the thing that you're going to see Paul do is, you know, is like, like viewing the facets of a diamond. Paul is going to lift the gospel up and turn it just a little bit so that the light shines on the gospel and you see a different facet. A few weeks ago, we saw five facets of the gospel. The fact that he qualifies us, he rescues us, he delivers us. He comes to our aid and delivers us. He transfers us into the kingdom. And it, you know, it's the opposite of the diaspora, of the dispersion or the scattering. He, he transfers us back. He brings us back to God, the kingdom. Okay. And there is, you know, there is, Redemption, he pays our debt, the word redemption, and he forgives our 
sins. And Paul says, man, that's, well, that's five facets of the gospel that you need to see. But now he holds up a different facet. He, 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 he holds the gospel up once again and he turns it. Did you see it? And the light hits it. And he says, he says, let's talk about reconciliation. Let's talk about what that means. Let's look at it. Now, what I want to do uh, is I want to just read through verses 20, you know, 21 through 23. I'm going to use verse 20, the end of the song, to introduce it because of the, the word reconciliation first appears there. But, but when, you're, when you are outlining Colossians, just let me just give you a tip here. If you just look for Paul in the original in the original Greek text, if you look where Paul puts the punctuation marks, the periods, it'll help you. Okay? Because see, verses 21 through 23 is all one continuous sentence. It's one continuous thought. Okay? And uh, so, you know, so that's why my focus is right there, 21 through 23 today. But I need verse 20 because Paul ends the song about really how huge Christ is in his in his epic proportion, his the his his supremacy over all of creation and over all of the new creation, the church, he ends it um, and flows right into the next thought, which is about reconciliation, because it's the last verse. It's in the last verse of the song. There's just a flow. We're just following the flow. Are you with me? We're just going to follow the flow. So we're going to start with verse 20, but our focus is going to be 21 through 23. And through him... To reconcile to himself. Now, here's the thing I want you to listen for. Who's taking the initiative here? But got it? Just just be what? Who's taking the initiative here? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, not wavering from the hope of the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so let's look at five, the five parts of this text that speak to the idea of reconciliation. God's plan, our problem, the path that Jesus walked, God's purpose revealed and our perseverance in it. Now, the word reconciliation is in the... I'm going to give you the Greek word just because I, I want you to see something, a, a, a different aspect. The word is katalaso, and uh, that's the usual word, and it means it's a change or an exchange. Specifically, it's a change. It speaks of a change in relationship. More specifically, it speaks of a change between parties that have been at odds with each other. Enemies, if you will. And so the change is from enmity to peace 
and accord. It is the restoration of a relationship from enmity or from being enemies to being friends and being intimate in involvement. Do you see the beauty of the word? So, katalasso is the most often used word for reconciliation. What Paul does in this text is he adds a, a prefix, apokatalasso. He, he adds a prefix. And the, the force of the prefix is to intensify the meaning. It's like Paul is saying that, that in Christ he thoroughly and completely and totally has reconciled us. It's like totally. You follow? So there are five aspects of this. First of all, we, we look at his plan. Okay, Verse 20. Through him, the plan was through him to reconcile to himself and for himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Now, you need to look at that and and think about this for just a minute. Because there is a sense in which what you and I need to recognize is there's a macro view of the gospel, and then there's a micro view. There's the larger view from 30,000 feet of the gospel, and then there's that view of what's really close to us and how we interact, how, how we come personally to connect with the gospel. There's a, is the purpose, the plan, God's plan was that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. I just finished, um, Chandler's book, uh, Explicit Gospel. It's kind of one of the, it's kind of on the bestseller list released around here right now. And Chandler talks about the gospel in the air and the gospel on the ground. And the importance of keeping that frame of reference in balance. Because you see, if, if we just emphasize and we just begin to kind of just see the gospel through the micro view on the ground, then what happens? It just becomes about us. You see it? And that's how we get into that thing about how am I doing? But if we keep it balanced with the gospel in the air, with the macro view of the fact that that in Christ, God is reconciling all of creation to himself. You see, if you read carefully Genesis chapter 3, when, when man made choices and brought sin into the world, Adam and Eve, they didn't just fall. They weren't just separated from God. You know, but, but the effects of the fall affected everything. The effects were cosmic in proportion everywhere. And, and in Romans chapter 8, some of you know, Paul talks about all of creation groans in travail until that day when things will be brought back and restored and things will be put right. Even not just in relationship, man's relationship with God, but in creation. So there's this macro view. Now, interestingly, where does God, where does redemption start? God starts with man. 
because we made the decision to actualize and use our freedom to bring sin into the world. You know, saying, but, but, so he focuses on us. But if we keep both in view, then what we realize is that we have a role not only in reconciling others, men and women to Christ, but we also have a role in the macro view. So, so can a Christian be, you know, can a Christian be someone who wants to fight injustice in the world? Ah, yeah. Should we be willing to speak to the real issues out there? You know, what's really hurting people? Ah, yeah. Should we be willing to fund the, you know, the fight of disease and cancer? Oh, yeah, we should. Should we, should we, uh, well, just think. Should we be interested in ecology? Oh, yeah. See, the problem is, is that some churches just focus on the macro. On the, on the, the, they're, they're, they're just, they're higher minded kind of folk. And so they're, they're out there and they're working for, you know, they're working for peace and, and injustice and, you know, I'm saying, but they don't take along with them the gospel. You see it? And then there's some churches that just focus just on the on the personal relationship, which is just on the gospel. And, and they don't they don't see the macro view. They don't they don't hold those two together. And what happens? The world can go to hell in a handbasket for all we care. We got Jesus. What's God's plan? To reconcile. All things, heaven and earth, bring it all back, make it all right. And so you can't read the book of Revelation without realizing there's a real restoration taking place. The tree of life is back in the garden. But we don't have to wait to get involved in justice and poverty and disease and ecology but let's be careful that we don't get so wrapped up in that that we are not we are not anchored in the gospel you see because the reconciliation that happens in the church and the reconciliation that happens in creation is in Christ Our problem. What's our problem? And you, who were alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. Alienated. The word means you were estranged. You were cut off. You were separated. Hostile. And and this is not passive. This is not just being apathetic. I mean, your attitude, your distribution, your your dis, your disposition. Excuse me, was you turned your back? You you were hostile, hateful, resulting in evil choices, 
it, it begins to affect the way that you, it, it affects the way you lived because you were, you lived apart from him. And so you actualized evil. It's a clear picture of what the Bible calls what? Sin. Theological term. Boy, does that, that description offend you? You're alienated, hostile in your mind. In other words, you, you know, you, you were just so self-satisfied, wrapped up in yourself. You know, you were just, you just pushed God aside. You say that, that's not apathy. That's that's basically that's just that's arrogance. You were hostile in your thinking, in your attitude, and it produced in you evil, evil actions, evil thoughts, evil inclinations of the heart. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And then Paul says, what was the path that Jesus walked? Colossians 1.22, the first part of that verse. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In verse 21, at the end of 21, he says, making peace by the blood of his cross. The path is the via doloroso. It's the way of suffering. It's the way of sacrifice. You know, and the, the, use, the use of the word blood is clearly, by Paul, an indication or a desire for them to attach to this idea that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness because, because it was, the life was in the blood. And, and so this was a sacrificial death. And, and this was also the way of substitution that Jesus took our place on the cross. God's wrath, his just wrath, because God is just, his wrath had to go somewhere. And so he aimed fully his wrath at Jesus on the cross. Because he was a substitute for us. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, our wage, what we've earned is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord because he died as a substitute for us. So the problem is we were alienated, we were hostile in mind, and, and, and we were doing evil deeds. And if we're honest people, we don't have to look forward to very far to take ownership of that sin in us. But the path, we were not required to walk. He walked. It was Jesus who chose the Via Dolorosa, who chose the way of suffering and sacrifice and substitution for us. God's purpose? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Now I want to point out to you, because I've done this previously, the term reconciled at the end of of verse 21, um, 
at verse 20, no, beginning of verse 22, he has now reconciled us in order to present us. Both of those verbs are aorist active tense. Now follow me. You remember that indicates that it's a finished done deal and it was instantaneous. It's not a process. Sanctification is a process. Yes. But reconciliation is instantaneous. We were we were completely and totally and instantly brought back into relationship with him. And we are before him as holy and blameless and above reproach. Again, three words. Are you seeing a pattern here? Yeah, keep watching. He's going to use three more at the end. Three words describe our former condition. And now three words describe our present reality. That in God's eyes, through the path that Jesus walked for us, we are now seen, presented before him as holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy, set apart, hagios, set apart. Blameless is the word that was used by the Jews to speak of a, of a sacrifice, a lamb that was without blemish. We are presented to him without any blemish and above reproach. There is no one who can speak against us because he has spoken for us. Definitively, he has spoken for us. You, you remember when the, um, the prodigal son comes home? What is the first thing that the father does for the son? He says, go and get the finest robe and put it on my son. And the robe is symbolic of righteousness. Now, he didn't say, keep it, the father didn't say, okay, son, glad you're home. Go take a bath, get washed up, shave. You need a haircut. And then I'll put the robe on you. Didn't say that, did he? <laughs> now, he, he covered the prodigal son's sin with his righteousness. So that when the son stood in his presence, what did the father see? He saw the beauty of the robe. He saw his righteousness. It's the same with us. Sanctification, the process will come later. Trust me, the prodigal son at some point figured out, you know, I could smell a lot better, look a lot better, and <clears throat> I would probably clean up nicely if I just take a bath, right? Sanctification is a process, but the righteousness of God and the reconciliation of God came in a moment when we trusted him. And then let's go to the last verse, our perseverance. The Bible speaks of the perseverance of the saints. Now, if you grew up Baptist, that was through around the term once saved, always saved, right? That's not in the Bible. 
but 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 the you know the inference is very clear that the saints will persevere those who have met Christ and have formed union with him and have come to know him by being reconciled to him will persevere they will continue in their journey with him if indeed he says you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation there's the macro in all creation and of which i have become paul a minister the construction here this is a first class conditional sentence in the original language which simply means that paul is expressing confidence not doubt you need to hear that he says if <laughs> but it's an if that he speaks with confidence with assurance that that the the colossian christians are on the journey and so he fully expects he fully expects that they will that they, there will be evidence of faith in them that they will continue in the journey and so he mentions three words again three words or three phrases if you continue in the faith the emphasis is not on on your hard work it's on your continued believing putting faith in Christ continue in the faith and you become stable and steadfast confident assured your relationship with him not shifting or not wavering from the hope of the gospel and again the emphasis is on the gospel because maturity in the christian life is not about what we do it's about growing deeper and deeper in our understanding of what he has already done for us so we don't shift from the hope of the gospel do you see it now the tragedy is let's just be real that there are some who will stand before god one day paul infers infers here when he says that you may that you that you he might present you that you might stand before him literally the word present is to is to stand under or stand before you, that, that you will you and I will one day stand before God and, and the difficulty is that there will be some who will say but lord didn't we cast out demons in your name didn't we do all kinds of good works in your name and he'll say Apart from me, I never knew you. It never was about what you did. It was always about you trusting and coming to fully understand what I've done for you. And living out of that. See, to be in Christ. So, guys... We can tread water all we want. Anybody treading water today? You see, this is the, the analogy I love. Okay. I, I used this a while back, but it works for me. I can have Christ in me like this water is in the bottle. I can have Christ in me. But what if I throw this bottle out into the ocean 
the vast ocean containing 684 billion gallons of water. See, that's to be in Christ. That's how big he is. See, so I can have Christ in me, and the scripture talks about the fact that we have Christ in me. But the, the phrase that is used most often in scripture is the fact that, that when we come to faith in Christ, when we rest our lives on what he has done, what he has completed in the gospel, then we are no longer, no longer left to ourselves. We are brought into Christ. So those guys swimming around the swim pool, treading water, When you begin to get the gospel, the fear subsides because I am floating in him. I am sustained by him. I can swim anywhere I want. I mean, I've got freedom because I am buoyed. I am held up by him because my life is in him. Do you get it? The wonderful truth. Okay. Decision time. Some of us, some of us as Christians, as Christians, have gone back to treading water. We believe the lie that it's all about us and not all about him. You know what I'm saying? And so, man, we are working hard. We are treading water and we are just, we are exhausted and see, today the decision be that I'm going to refocus and reorient my life toward Christ, the beauty and, you know, uh, and magnitude of what he's done. And I'm going to rest in him and I'm going to quit trying to paddle, you know, whatever and keep myself afloat. I'm, going to, I'm just going to trust him completely. There's some of you who yet... You know, you've been trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is. Well, you just saw it. It's pretty simple. God's had a plan. He wants to reconcile. He wants to bring enemies back into close friendship and relationship with himself. And so how does he do that? He, prov- he, he, he provides a path of suffering for his own son. He takes flesh, lives obediently lives perfectly so that he can be the perfect, sinless, blameless sacrifice and a substitute for us in our sin. And so if I simply am willing to acknowledge that I am, you know, in fact, I'm separated from God. I'm alienated. There's, there's a hostility. I, I'm, I'm arrogantly just doing my own thing. And if I'm honest, I do bad stuff. I hurt people. I think bad thoughts. I'm a sinner. We're willing to admit our sin, put our trust in what he's done on a cross for us. No more treading water. Peace. Rest. Goodness. Grace. Available to you today. How do I do that, Dave? Simple prayer. You talk to God. You tell him where you are. 
you know, you, you, God, here's my address. My address is way over there somewhere, alienated, hostile, caught in my junk, in my mess. I need you to lift me up and bring me over to your side. I know you'll do that because of your son's cross. And so I trust you. Your sacrifice, your substitutionary death for me, I trust you. And the relationship starts in an instant. And you stand before him, pure, blameless, above reproach. Because he sees the righteousness of his son now in you. How can you resist? Seriously, how can you resist? So great a Savior. So awesome. So majestic. So loving. And so real. Let's pray. Our Father. Thank you for your Son. In this quiet moment, we simply ask that you would reveal yourself, do business with us. We're grateful, Father, that you have a plan to restore, to renew and reconcile creation to yourself. Even more grateful. That you can focus your love on an itty bitty little me. To reveal yourself to us as individuals. Wherever we are. Whatever we're doing. And so help us in this moment to respond. To trust. To believe what your spirit is saying to us in Jesus' name.